there is no perfect job that will find you because you have to know what you're looking for and either find that or create that. Thank you for joining us here today on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I want to take a moment and let you know that we've been working around the clock at Doc Working to bring you CME credit so that now you can let your continuing education budget help you to prioritize your own wellness and get on the path to living your best life. Everything we do at Doc Working is specifically designed with you in mind. We hope you'll head over to docworking.com today and take our two-minute quiz to find out where you are right now on the balance to burnout continuum. Take our burnout quiz, and this simple step alone can put you in the right direction toward living your best life. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barna, founder and CEO of Doc Working and co-host of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a physician who wants to maximize your potential on your own terms and live your best life, you have come to the right place. If you're interested in affordable coaching programs that earn you CME and accelerate your path to getting where you want to be, please check us out at docworking.com. And today I'm thrilled to have with me Dr. John Mehal, who is joining me as a guest and I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation about how to find the right job to help prevent burnout and what you need to know about yourself in order to be able to accomplish that. Dr. John Mehal is a nationally recognized expert in minimally invasive cardiac surgery and previously was the director of cardiothoracic surgery for Centura Health, where he developed his own thriving practice serving much of Colorado and additionally founded seven healthcare businesses over the years and currently serves as the chief medical officer for Curative, the staffing and recruiting branch of Doximity. Dr. John Mihal, welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Thanks so much. It's really a privilege to be here, Jen, and thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here because I really am excited to talk with you about burnout and how physicians come to that point and how common it is. You have accomplished so much in your career as a nationally recognized expert cardiac surgeon. You've successfully founded seven healthcare businesses. And what I would love to know is how is your personal work-life balance? Well, today it's it's going really well, but only because I've gone through a significant transformation in uh, realigning my priorities and what makes me happy and how I define myself and how I define success. I would love to talk with you about that process and how your career went and at what point you decided to begin to define that for yourself and at what point you recognized that you needed to define that? Sure, and I'll be happy to. So, you know, my journey began like everybody else's where, you know, you're working hard and doing well in school and trying to distinguish yourself so you can get into the next level and phase of training. And I think that, you know, then creates a very goal-oriented mentality and you know, you say, okay, I've got to go achieve this goal. And then when you achieve it, that's 
brings you self-esteem and self-worth. And I uh, did that through college and medical school, and then went on to 10 years of residency training. And that was, uh, you know, pre 80 hour work week in a somewhat brutal environment. But, you know, that's where your formative years are. And so then I really felt like, okay, I'm going to define myself by how many cases I do and how much more personal sacrifice I can do than my fellow colleagues and how much money I can make and how many publications I can achieve and how many podiums I get on. And then when I entered into practice, probably really continued that pattern and maybe redefined it some as how big can I build the practice? How far can I extend my referral pattern? Really just ran on that hamster wheel very hard. And if I think back about it now, it's it's a, you know astonishing to think that on two separate occasions, I actually flew home from one of the few family vacations we took once to do a really complicated case that then resulted in a case report and another time to do a demonstration of the robot for a potential donor who, who eventually gave us a bunch of money. And the idea that I somehow put those things ahead of spending time with my family on vacation when I almost never went on vacation, it's hard to, hard to believe I actually did that. And so was that the point at which you began to recognize that maybe you needed to make a change or what happened that made you realize that? I would say two things. One is um, one of the hardest things that anybody has to learn to do is to say no. And as you, you start to get success, it's like the snowball rolling down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger. And the things that you're asked to do, whether it's new responsibilities or you know, speaking as something or teaching someone something get bigger and bigger. So then it's like, oh, yes, you know, I would absolutely do that. And, you you know, and you feel really honored that someone asked. And then all you do is you continue to put things on your plate and you don't take anything off. I got to the point where I had so many things on my plate that I knew that I could not do all of them well. And I, in fact, I was doing all of them, not as well as I knew that I could do them, probably satisfactory, but it was very unsatisfying personally to do a whole bunch of things in a, in a mediocre fashion. And so I think that was part of it. And the other part of it was the toll I could see that it was taking on my family as my kids got older. The little kids don't tell you that they miss you, but as they get older and you're missing their events or you're, you know, literally, you know, running out of the hospital. I remember I was trying to get to a dance recital and I was hurrying so much that I hit the curb, leaving the parking lot and got a flat tire. And, and I just think, what, what am I doing? And, you know, my wife is just a warrior and, and I can't thank her enough. And she's been phenomenal to hold all the pieces together and keep all the balls in the air for all the time that I was gone. And I realized that that was at risk too. And so when I wasn't happy at work, cause I was trying to do too many things and do them poorly. And, you know, I wasn't happy at home and, and my family wasn't happy. I thought something, something's got to change. Well, you bring up a really important point, which is that our families do make a huge sacrifice when we partake in the culture that we train through. The culture, as you say so well, train us to be in a mindset where we are sacrificing ourselves. We think for the greater good, but ultimately it's not sustainable. And our families do often pay the price. So that's wonderful that you were able to recognize that and make changes that led you to a path of having a better work-life balance. And it's interesting how that ties into your entrepreneurship. How would you say that that 
influenced what you did in terms of your business side? Well, I first left training, went into a private practice with four people. I was recruited to replace someone that was retiring. And when that person retired, he was really the glue that had held everything together and the whole thing quickly imploded. Two of us became hospital employees at one of the hospitals. And I I realized very early on that the fundamental structure of how most hospitals engage in employment with physicians is really broken. And most hospitals engage with physicians in independent contracts. And then what the result was is that you're in essence competing with your partner. And so each of you has a, you know, usually a highly productivity-based contract. And if you want to do more work, it usually comes at the expense of your partner. And at least in the surgical specialty, everybody wants to be busy. And so then it results in case hoarding and other things. And I might get a consult on Wednesday, but I don't have overtime until Monday, and I'll just park the patient in the hospital until Monday when potentially one of my partners could have done it on Thursday or Friday. And that, that when you're then asked to share a call and, and do other things where you want to behave as a community, those two things are fundamentally at odds. And um, I really found it a difficult way to interact. And I also was in a situation where in my original practice, there were two of us, and the hospital unceremoniously terminated the other person and left me alone. And they were very inept at recruiting. I was not involved in the process. I spent over a year doing call every night. Um, They were very unempathetic in getting me additional help and call relief. And that had a huge burden on my family. And and when we finally did hire somebody, you know, maybe wasn't the best fit. And then a year later, that person left. And so at that point, it was obvious that there was fundamental flaws with the model and uh, I'm sure that I wasn't perfect and maybe I contributed in some way, but the model itself didn't seem sustainable to me. And I wanted to get into a model where I was able to recruit people that I felt were good partners. We could collaborate. We didn't have built-in financial competition between us and contract with the hospital as a group rather than as individuals. And uh, naturally, having never done that before, their answer was no, no, can't do it, not compliant, never done it before. And so I I gave them a written notice that I was leaving. And when they were faced with having nobody after already having 18 months of recruiting challenges, we asked and we got into a structure where we contracted as a group with group incentives and shared uh, finances and things like that. And we've been in a model like that for a decade ever since. And it's been very, very good. It's very symbiotic. We certainly can't live without the hospital or the health system. They can't live without us. But it does allow us to do things where we have some shared financial incentives between the members of the group. We don't hoard cases. We try and do what's most efficient for the patient in the hospital. We're able to do some self-governance. We direct our own recruiting. We're able to share patients between sites uh, as we cover multiple surgical sites. And it's, it's really uh, aligned all of our incentives and been a much healthier model. That's really interesting that you chose to deal with all of that being put in basically a solo position inadvertently by fixing the problem in that way. I actually share a similar story. My first position outside of residency, I was told I was being hired to join two other radiologists. And when I got there, I was the only radiologist. (laughs) So I was solo. Yes, I was solo straight out of of residency, which it was a situation also where, you know, um, my backup evening 
system that was a remote coverage after 5 p.m. was also removed. And then it was a 24-7 slog, basically, with a four-day-a-week contract. So my solution ultimately to that was to leave. I fixed what I could. I brought two people in and then actually we ended up leaving together. But I think the model that you propose is an excellent model, which ultimately I found in private practice and have been with a group who works with a similar model to that. And I think that could be a really promising way to to look at structuring physician relationships with healthcare systems and and hospitals. And speaking of, you know, being in a situation where you feel like your only alternative is to look elsewhere. I mean, there are so many things that you and I have talked about in terms of financial issues that physicians end up basically putting themselves into a trap with delayed gratification for years through residency and fellowship, and then, you know, getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Uh, once they are earning money because they have debt and other other expenses that physicians can end up feeling trapped and overwhelmed and that can lead to burnout so i'd love to just hear your insights i mean you are you are an expert having started a recruiting company that ultimately has become curative which is a branch of Doximity. And so I would love to hear about your experience, how you became interested in physician recruiting and what you recommend for someone who may find themselves in a position where they are indeed looking for an alternative to where they are. I got into the staffing business somewhat inadvertently, where we had built a large surgical group. And in the Mountain West, there's a lot of small practices and people were calling us asking if we could help with coverage. And I had some partners who were a little bit older, had kids out of the house and were interested in doing that type of work. And we started placing people around the Mountain West and that grew in beyond cardiac surgeons into cardiology and vascular surgery and perfusionists and a host of other businesses. And the business really got bigger than I could manage. And I was fortunate enough to um, reconnect with a friend from college who was in the healthcare staffing business. And then uh, Doximity bought our business and we have been working as curative ever since. And it's been wonderful because Doximity brings so much to the table as a living, breathing online community of both physicians and advanced practitioners that covers almost 90% of physicians now. And their sole mission is really to make the lives of healthcare providers better. And part of that really is helping people find work that is meaningful and structured in a way that they aren't burned out and they aren't in these toxic situations. And so at Curative, we spend a lot of time really trying to understand what people really want. You know, I'm a big fan of Naval Ravikant. He would say, it's easy to do what you want. It's hard to know what you want. And a lot of times when physicians are changing jobs, it's because they probably got into a situation which didn't really meet their needs because they didn't understand what they wanted. And if we're going to help them move to either another permanent job or another type of work, such as locums or, or fixed to defined boundary type work, then it's really important to, to peel that onion and see what is really important to them. What do they not like about their current situation? What about them themselves is either making the situation better or worse because whenever they go to a new job, they're going to take themselves and, and their preferences and their biases with them and, and make that a good fit. I think that's, that's really critical. 
I think another thing that can lead to a decision to leave is sometimes our culture also has, has taught us not to step forward and admit that we're unhappy with something or admit that we're having a problem with something or we're struggling with something. I think we're perhaps even more inclined to leave and go try to start fresh somewhere else rather than come forward and say, you know what, I'm having a problem with this. It's like what you mentioned before, setting boundaries, mm -hmm. be able to say, you know, this is not working for me. This needs to be fixed. How can we fix it and troubleshoot that? Again, I think, you know, when physicians are in a situation where they have a trusted thinking partner and a coach, for example, they can talk through scenarios like that and get the confidence to go back and negotiate with a more willing group or administration than they, than they realized. It's not a case of black or white. There's a lot mm -hmm. in that can be done. You touched on like four or five really good points there. And, you know, the first is you're right. The system does drive that behavior. Historically, a lot of the surgical training programs and even some of my training was pyramidal. And so you were really in competition to keep your job with your fellow um, trainees. And that ingrains a certain type of behavior. And, and you know, I know that personally, I, I can remember standing at the scrub sink sick as a dog, but there was no way I was going to not do that case or, or say that I couldn't do it or that I was too tired, whatever the case may be, because it was unacceptable. And so I think you're right. The, the system definitely suppresses that type of outreach. And you know, the other point you made is when you're in a system that is toxic or a job that is not working or you have that burnout, it is really, really hard to redefine boundaries in the existing situation. It's not impossible and people can do it, but it's very difficult. And one of the keys to being able to redefine those boundaries is to approach it from a position of strength. And if you are not in a situation financially where you don't need to be independently wealthy, but you need to be at least have some savings and not be having to have a certain amount of cash flow every month just to meet your debt and other needs. And so that you can say, you know what, I want to either slow down, I want to go to an alternate schedule, I want to do something and um, be able to take the time and have a discussion like that from a position of strength is, is huge. And I think lastly, Sometimes if you can't redefine your situation where you are, it is best to leave. And then you could start with a blank slate and redefine that how you want. Maybe there's things about your current job that aren't right. And, you know, the agents are cured or great at really peeling that out and saying, you know what, there are fundamental things about what you want that you can't get where you are and you would be better to move. And let's find you a place where Things that are important to you are priorities for the institution as well. And the last thing I would say on that is that if people struggle to set those boundaries, then many times jobs where you have defined time on and time off really, really solves that for the individual. So if you are going to go and work somewhere and you're going to get on a plane or drive somewhere to do it and you're there for three, four or five days, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, when you're there, you're all in, you're engaged in work, you don't have family obligations, your family knows that you're there working. And when you come back, you're all engaged in family, and you're not working, and you have those, somebody else you know is there handling those things, and the boundaries are drawn for you. And for a lot of people, that's very, very appealing, and that really fits what they need. And we've also discovered 
that is certainly one of the things that led me into this business was I had older partners who were interested in traveling. So through the course of running a staffing business, we've discovered that there are certain subgroups of people that very much like, I hate to use the word locums because it has somewhat of a negative connotation, but really defined work and temporary work where you go somewhere, you do the work and you leave has a lot of advantages. And, and those advantages include someone who has a dual working family. And especially if the other person is not in medicine and they have a corporate job somewhere and they're not really movable, but for in your specialty, there's not a great situation there where you're excited about working. And in those situations, a lot of people will choose to say, I'm going to go spend a defined amount of time, whatever that is, one week or something somewhere else. There's a, a woman that I've gotten to know very well where her husband has an oil and gas job in a place where there's really no work for her. And she chooses to spend one week a month at the Navajo reservation doing primary care. And it's been very, very rewarding. And she engages in that work while she's there. And then when she goes back home, she knows that she has the rest of the month to spend with her kids and her family. And it's been a way where she has found work that's very rewarding and she enjoys it, and she's not conflicted with trying to see one more patient and then get to soccer practice or whatever the case may be. And so those kind of things work very, very well. The other situations we've seen is where somebody goes through a divorce and their children are now living somewhere else, and there's no job for them there, and they want to live by their kids, but then you know take you know the time that they don't have with their kids and go work somewhere else. That that's been a very successful solution for those folks to allow them to spend good quality time with their children and still have a meaningful work experience. So there's a lot of scenarios like that. And I think there's things that people probably don't even know exist. Like you could work on a cruise ship for two weeks or you could work on a cruise ship for a month. You can do a lot of things like that. And it gives you clear cut defined boundaries. For people that are looking to slow down, but they don't want to quit entirely, doing locums in defined periods of time is, is really very effective because one of the things that people forget is that there's a huge amount of non-clinical work that is put on employed physicians. We need you to sit on this pharmacy committee. We need you to sit on this quality thing. We need you to do these other things. While you're working on yeah. a, a productivity model. <laughs> right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to give you a bunch of work that is non-productivity, but we're still going to only pay you on your productivity. Uh, that's very common. You're right. And also, depending on your specialty, there's a certain amount of referral and referring physician management and in the business world, you'd call it business development or CRM. But, you know, you have to maintain those referral physician relationships. And what's nice about if you've done that for 10 or 20 years and you're saying, you know, I'm kind of tired of that. My kids are out of the house and maybe I'll go with my wife and we'll work one week a month in Montana and I don't have to sit on a committee. I don't have to work on any of these other things. I get to take care of the patients and, and provide for them and keep my skills up. And I'm able to earn enough money to cover the living expenses for the two of us without tapping into my nest egg. It's a great solution for those folks. And a great solution for physicians who have gotten into that safety zone that you mentioned earlier. You know, I think all of us have to ideally, if we can start very early in our careers, get ourselves into what I call a safety zone. It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't need to be a place of wealth. It just needs to be a place where you can cover your basic needs financially so that you do have that flexibility to come back and negotiate your schedule where you are or look at other options. And if you want to cut back to look at some other models, local mm -hmm. is, is a great way. 
you know, I think it's very challenging and physicians are probably insufficiently aware and insufficiently educated to navigate the time from transitioning from training into practice. And the things that are hard about that are you've lost some of the time value of money because you weren't really earning in your 20s. And so now your timeline and horizon to retirement and college savings and these other things is shorter. And so that is a burden. You're leaving with a high amount of debt. For most physicians, when you go from residency training to practice, you get this huge jump in salary, but you forget that it's probably going to be pretty flat thereafter for the rest of your career while your expenses are likely to go up as you get kids. And it's very, very difficult. And you've got pent up demand from all the sacrifices you've made over the the decade. So when you hit that, those crucial couple years, if you don't set up a plan to service debt, don't set up a plan to save for retirement, overindulge in lifestyle or pent up demand, then you know you do that for five or 10 years and you're that much further in the hole and savings and the time value of money creation. So that, that's something I think I certainly was totally unaware of and hadn't thought about in those terms when I was entering practice. I was just like, hallelujah, I'm finally going to get a decent paycheck and I can buy my wife something nice. And, you know, if you if you overdo that or you don't thread that needle well, then you it makes getting into that safety zone that you define very, very difficult once you're 45 or 50. And I, I would say if you're listening to this and you're early in your career, take it from those of us who are looking back with hindsight, because hindsight is 2020. And uh, one of the reasons that I started Doc Working is because of all of the mistakes that I made. And then looking back and saying, wow, you know, those could have been avoided if only I had known. So if you're in the middle of your career and you're realizing uh-oh, you know, is it too late for me? I, I've made some mistakes. No, it's not too late. It's never too late. You can begin to make changes. And if you're early in your career, you can listen to our mistakes and learn from those so that you don't make them, which I think hopefully a lot of people are, are going to do. Yeah. But if you're in a situation where you're mid-career and you're looking at making some major changes, one thing that you and I have also talked about is just defining what happiness means to you as a step toward making the decision whether to stay or go. And if ultimately you decide to go, then when you're making that choice, really defining what matters most to you in that Mm -hmm. choice. How do you guys work with people to do that at Curative? Yeah, I think that's a a great point because if you don't know what you really want, you're never going to find it. There is no perfect job that will find you because you have to know what you're looking for and either find that or create that. And when you are a physician agent or recruiter or whatever term you want to give them, and you're working with literally hundreds of physicians every year, and you're helping them navigate that process, then those folks learn very quickly to really dig in and help people do some introspection and do some self-discovery to understand what is important to them, why are they currently unhappy, what kind of attributes and characteristics of a job are going to make them happy. And those are going to be very different for everybody. And in most cases, they're actually not money or financial rewards. They're usually things around the working conditions, the schedule, the ability to either do things with your family, do hobbies, do self-care, whatever it may be. And the team at Curative does that all day, every day. You've got hundreds of people really working with hundreds of physicians each across the spectrum of specialties. And with all the resources of Doximity, who really has spent 
the entire decade of their existence building tools for physicians to help make physicians and advanced practitioners' lives easier. And, and I think they have the expertise to do that. So, and I think there's some degree of self-interest. If we at Curative are placing somebody into a job, we want them to be successful, both because we want them to think we did a good job for them and we want the hospital or the employer to think that we did a good job in finding the right person. And so obviously we have incentive to do that well, but I think you can't just go and drop someone in a job because they like the paycheck because it's never a solution for long-term success. What do you say to a physician who asks, should I use a recruiter or not? A lot of physicians don't know anything about the process of finding a job and what to look for in a recruiter to know that it's the right person to work with. Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is finding a job and navigating that process, whether you're just leaving residency training or you've been out in the workforce, is something that most physicians are not adept at. And, and that's not through any fault of their own. They're certainly sufficiently intelligent, but it's because through all steps of their training, there's a very clear rubric of, if you do this, then you will get an A on this assignment. If you do this, then you'll get into medical school. If you do this, you'll finish residency, et cetera, et cetera. And when it comes to finding a right job, there's not really a clear rubric for that of, of how to do it. I used to give a lot of presentations at meetings to residents about how to find a job. And navigating that process is very foreign to them because it doesn't have clear rules or guidelines. So given that background, why would you not lean on the experience and the resources of someone who does that every day and has years of experience doing that? They're going to ask you some questions that more often than not, you're going to raise your eyebrows and say, well, I never thought about that. And there are going to be things that you probably haven't considered that are really, really critically important to your success in that role. It's kind of like using a real estate agent when you buy a house, isn't it? I would think most, the vast majority of people would never consider going out independently without an agent, just looking at houses because an agent brings so much to the table to help you through the process. That's exactly right. And the real estate agent is a great analogy and everybody uses one to buy a house, but finding a job is an exponentially larger financial decision than buying a house. So why are you not having somebody help you? And it could be helping you both find the right job, helping you understand the characteristics of the job, helping you understand yourself and what you're looking for. And then also some of the pieces around contractual negotiations and what is normal for the industry and things like that. So you're absolutely right. It's a huge financial decision and it's very costly to change jobs. And we've all seen friends or colleagues who have gotten onto this merry-go-round of changing jobs every couple of years. And it's very detrimental to career success in many ways. So having a recruiter or an agent person help you with that process is extremely important. Well, John, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. We've hit on so many interesting yeah. topics. I think we're, we're definitely going to have to revisit some of these topics. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with me today. I hope if you're listening that you have found a lot of value in the conversation that I've had with Dr. John Mehal today. And how can people find you if they would like to learn more about you and ask you some additional questions? So you can find me through curativetalent.com certainly through Doximity.com and on LinkedIn would probably be the best ways to connect. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. John Mehal, for joining me today on Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. And if you're listening today and you're interested in maximizing your own potential, preventing burnout as a side effect of maximizing your potential and living your best life, 
please reach out to us at docworking.com and check out our programs with Docworking Thrive. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. At Doc Working, we're here to help you maximize your potential on your own terms and help you live your best life. You told us what you need and want, and we built this for you. Whatever your journey is, you have options. You can choose to live the life you want to live. We see you. We get you. And now let's get you in the driver's seat of your own life so you can find purpose in your work and everything you do and every choice you make. Top executives, athletes, actors all achieve greatness with the support of professional coaches. As a healthcare professional, you deserve ongoing coaching support toward achieving your career goals and living your best life as you define it on your own terms. We have created this specifically for you with CME credit at docworking.com. Please go to docworking.com and check out our quick balance to burnout quiz to see where you are on the balance to burnout continuum right now. The results might surprise you. Taking this simple first step may change your life for the better. And until next time, thank you for listening to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.